Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Steve, and it's a joy to be able to open up God's Word with you all today as we continue in our series in the book of Matthew. I encourage you to turn with me this morning to Matthew 12. And this morning we are looking at one of the most enigmatic, one of the most hard for people to understand, one of the passages that have caused probably more consternation in Christians' lives over church history than any. And that is Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 down through verse 37, as we're going to talk this morning about what people have labeled the unpardonable sin. We're going to look at that today and hopefully unpack it in a way that actually will encourage us along in our faith and take, uh, and help equip us, uh, not to necessarily as Christians be fearful of this passage. We have noted in our study thus far that Matthew, the apostle Matthew, the human author of the book, is writing to show that Jesus is the Messiah. Remember the, Word Messiah is actually a Hebrew word that means anointed one. It is the equivalent to the Greek word Christ. So when you say the word Christ and the word Messiah, you're saying the same thing. It's the anointed one. A reference back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 where God promised King David that David's descendant will sit on David's throne forever and ever. And that son of David will be known as the son of God. Matthew showing Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. But when we come to chapters 11 through 13, we see that Israel at that time as a nation has rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. They do not believe as a nation that he is the son of God who will reign over the kingdom. And as we come to this passage today, chapter 11, starting in verse 30 down through verse 37, we come to the, the zenith point of Israel as a nation's rejection. This is the, their rejection of Jesus Christ at its height. I'm going to read the verses out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Starting in verse 30 of Matthew 12. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people. But blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the son of man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit... It shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit, you brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out his good treasure, what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is treasure what is evil. 
But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The unpardonable sin. And these topics have been a source of confusion and a source of anxiety uh, throughout church history. And so hopefully today we can unpack this a little and really get a good grasp within the context, within the verses that these verses are set in to get a grasp of what this is all about. Uh, I love to go on day trips. My wife says that we go on too many day trips because we have too much to be done around our place. But I still, I love going on day trips. One thing I love to do is go to livestock auctions. I love a good livestock auction. Several years ago, we were in northern Indiana. I was uh, trying to interview some potential staff for Faith Bible Church. And we were just driving along and, Bart, there's a sale barn. Let's go. What I didn't realize at the time is that we were near Annapolis, Indiana, and it was all Amish. So we were the only non-Amish people that came into the sale barn. Oh, we had a blast. My love for livestock seals goes all the way back to when I was a little kid. My dad's first cousin and her husband owned the sale barn in Stewart, Iowa, Lauren Squires. And on Monday nights, they'd have cattle sale and we would often go. And after the sale, my grandpa would take me across the interstate to Truck Haven. And I'd get the Truck Haven Burger Deluxe. It was great. Well, if you've been to a cattle sale, you know... That it is quite an experience. And there's usually some guys standing around the ring who are looking for the bids. And if you watch carefully, you'll see that bidding at a cattle sale is pretty unique. Because you bid maybe by scratching your nose. Or tugging on your ear. Because you don't want everybody else to kind of know who you are. And as a kid, sitting at an auction, I was always scared spitless that I'd end up buying a bull. (laughs) And so when those guys were in the ring and they were calling, especially if they looked up my direction, and I'm sitting there and I thought, oh no, I just bit on something. I was always just so scared that I'd bit on a cow or a bull. I was just Gary, what did I just do? And unfortunately, too many Christians have a sale barn mentality about this passage of scripture. I don't know what the unpardonable sin is, but I'm afraid I may have just done it. That mentality. And especially children struggle with this. And so it's important for us as followers of Jesus to have a good grasp of what this passage is talking about. So that we can encourage those who are new in faith in Jesus Christ to stay the course 
and not be fearful of committing something that maybe they don't really know what it is, but like me sitting at the cattle auction, I may have just done it. So that's what we want to look at this morning. What is this unpardonable sin about which Jesus speaks here in these verses? It is a real thing. But if a person is truly a Christian, meaning that at some point in his or her life, an individual recognizes what we've been singing about this morning, that there's this chasm between me and God caused by my sin, and that I can't do enough good things to bridge that gulf, to bridge that chasm. And God, in his holiness, can't overlook the chasm. He can't say, I'll just forget about sin, because it would violate his holiness. But he, in his love, sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, to earth, who took on humanity so that he would be able to live a sinless life and then die taking all the penalty for sin upon himself. We sang about that this morning. And then prove that he is God by rising from the dead. And when a person puts their trust in the person of Jesus Christ, believing that he is God who died for me and rose again, that person is a Christian. When we transfer the dependence of our life off of myself, thinking that I can be a good enough person to earn merit with God, and put my dependence on the person of Jesus Christ, at that point, I am what the Bible defines as a Christian. And our conclusion today is going to be this. A Christian is, is not able to commit the unpardonable sin. Now, we're going to unpack that a lot. I'm just telling you where we are going. This is not a sin that a Christian commits. Now, to unpack that, to unfold that, the first thing we want to know is found in verses 30 through 32. And that is this. The unpardonable sin is a willful, purposeful turning away. A rejection of the clearly understood claims of Jesus about who he is and why he came. Okay? So the unpardonable sin is a willful, purposeful rejection of the person of Jesus Christ. His claims of why he came, his claims of who he is. Verse 30 says, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. That verse is kind of a hinge verse between verses 22 and 29 and verses 31 through 37. And we're going to unpack that verse. But right now we're going to go to verse 31 32 and then go back to verse 30 because verse 31 starts with the little word therefore meaning verse 31 
connects directly back into verse 30. And verse 30 connects these verses with what has just come before. Remember, Jesus has cast a demon out of a man who could not see and could not speak. Israel's religious leaders, these Pharisees, recognized that what Jesus did actually happened. They're probably the guy's neighbor. They've known. This wasn't fake. This actually happened. So they could not deny what Jesus did. So they purposefully, in a calculated way, decided to attack how Jesus did it. And this was their attack. And we looked at it last week. You did that by the power of Satan. And in a very calculated, purposeful way, they accused Jesus of doing his work by Satan's power. Now, we saw last week Jesus proved that's impossible. It doesn't even make sense. It's, it's not logical. But the verses that we're going to look at today are Based on those verses. And verse 30 is going to hinge us into what Jesus is going to say by way of conclusion about what has just happened in this interaction with the Pharisees talking about uh, the Pharisees rejecting how Jesus did his mighty works. So we come to verse 31. Therefore, I say to you, Any sin and blasphemy blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. He goes on and explains even further in verse 32. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man. Remember, that's a title that Jesus used of himself. It goes back to Daniel chapter 7. It's a messianic title. It's a title for Messiah. And Jesus, using that title, referring to himself, he's saying, I'm the Messiah. And so here he said, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, blasphemy is slander. It's speaking against. And here, this is blasphemy against God. It's slandering God. Specifically here, this is a rejection, a slandering of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We just have seen that in the verses right before. So Jesus says, therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven. Remember, religious leaders of Israel, the Pharisees, could not dispute what Jesus did. So purposefully, willfully, in rejection of what he has said, what he has done, who he is, they are in a very calculated way rejecting How he did what he did. They're saying that he did it by the empowerment of Satan. Even though, if we look back in these verses right before us in Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, 
we saw last week that Matthew recognized Jesus' work here on earth was the fulfillment of Isaiah 42. And in Isaiah 42 verse, and here in, in Matthew 12 verse 18, it says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. Then Jesus, in rebutting this attack, in verse 28 said, but I cast, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Their attack was found in verse 24. This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. So, the Pharisees could not contradict what Jesus did. Everybody recognized it. What they attacked in a very purposeful way was how he did it. By the power of Satan. Now, what is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit versus blaspheming or speaking a word against the Son of Man? Verse 32. The Son of Man is Messiah. And Jesus is using that title in reference to himself. So the speaking a word against the Son of Man is speaking a word against Jesus. In a sense, it's rejecting Jesus and his message. And here, Jesus said, whoever speaks against me and my message, it shall be forgiven him. Meaning... A person can reject Jesus Christ and later repent of that. I remember as a, as a kid at home, about a fifth or sixth grader, my dad sitting out on the back porch with me saying, hey, mom and I are concerned. You're a sinner. I know, dad. Doesn't take much to figure that out. And, uh, and you haven't trusted Christ. And I just remember telling my dad, I don't want to. And at that stand, at that time, I was pushing away that truth. I, I just said, I don't want to. I, I'm, I'm not ready. I don't want to do it. But later, I turned from that. So here Jesus is saying, a person can push away Jesus. And still come to a point in their life where they turn and say, you know what? I do believe that he is God. I do believe that he died for me and rose again from the dead. But then Jesus goes on and says in verse 31, but who, or verse 32, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit It shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. Meaning, never. Now what's the difference between speaking against Jesus and speaking against the Holy Spirit? We've just seen it lived out for us in the verses right before. Speaking against the Holy Spirit is rejecting Jesus. But it's taking it one step further. It it is another step to a fuller degree 
It is a willful, knowing, deliberate rejection of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So this is a non-believer who has stood in rejection of Jesus, but then taken it one step further and in full knowledge of the claims of Christ, in full knowledge that what he did actually happened, in full knowledge of his words and his works, they take a step further and said, I know it happened, I just choose to reject it. They rejected not what he did. They couldn't. They rejected how he did it by saying that he cast out demons by the power of Satan. And what Jesus refers to here as this sin against the Holy Spirit is not only a rejection of Jesus Christ, but it was that next step, that willful, purposeful, determined rejection of the person and work of Jesus Christ in full knowledge, even assent to, yes, I know he did this, but I'm choosing to reject him. And when that happens here, Jesus says in verse 32, it shall not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. I would liken this passage to Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 through 6 and Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 through 31. I'll read Hebrews 6 verses 4 through 6. This is a passage where the author of the book of Hebrews is warning those within the church that maybe they have been part of the church family for years they they experienced what it is to be in Christian community. They have seen the mighty power of God at work. They've seen the power of the Spirit of God change people's lives. They've tasted it. But they've never actually put their trust in Jesus themselves. And then at some point they just reject him. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been partakers of the Holy Spirit, I think it means they've they've experienced and seen what the Spirit of God does within the local church and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Although that's a dangerous, dangerous word. And here, Jesus, in a sense, shares the same warning with those who hear him and who read this. And that warning comes back in verse 30. Because right after Jesus has confronted the Pharisees and said, your logic is wrong. How could I disassemble Satan's kingdom By his own power. That would be like him devouring himself. Jesus says this in verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. 
And he who does not gather with me scatters. And what Jesus is saying there is there's no such thing as neutrality when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. There's no category for someone who is not believing in Jesus just saying, well, I'm just going to remain neutral on the subject. Jesus is saying, if you aren't trusting in me, if you're not believing in me, you're actually standing in rejection of me. And here's the warning. Being in rejection of Jesus, just like I was as a kid. Being in rejection of Jesus is the same thing as in verse 31 when he says, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people. Verse 32, it's the same thing as whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man. Just to hear about Jesus and say, no, I, I, I don't want to. Just like I told my dad. That's one step away from where the Pharisees were. Because the Pharisees were there. And said, I don't believe in this Jesus. But then they had opportunity to hear his words. To see his works. And they couldn't deny what he did. Just like today. We celebrate an empty tomb. And there's people oh well he really didn't die. Or someone you know. The text even tells us. They, the rumor was spread that somebody came and, and stole him during the night. We cannot deny what he did. But. When a person gets to a point where they know who Jesus is. And they've heard his claims. And then take one step further and said, I believe that he is God. I believe that he did die. I just choose to reject him. Standing in rejection of the person of Jesus Christ. Is a place where forgiveness will not be found. And that's somber. I grew up out in the country, kind of between Council Bluffs and Underwood, Iowa, on an acreage. And we had a garage that the guy who owned the house before my parents drove school bus. The garage was so large that we could put six full-size cars into it. Big garage. And my dad kept a clipboard on the wall. For car maintenance. And on Saturdays. He'd get out the clipboard. And us boys would go out. And we would maintain stuff. Whatever it was. Lawnmowers. Rototillers. Cars. Pickup. Whatever. It was time to maintain. Because my dad had this philosophy. Buy the best that you can. That makes sense. And then maintain it. And you'll have it for years and years and years. And I still believe that. Don't buy junk. Buy good stuff and then take care of your good stuff. And my boys could tell you, I've preached that to them and preached that to them. Still continue to. One day I'm on the phone with 
Son number three. Have you checked the car for when you need your next oil change? Oh, Dad, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Two weeks later. Son, have you checked when you need the next oil change? Dad, I, I've got it all under control. All under control. After about the third phone call, a month or so later, son, are you keeping track of the car? Does it need an oil change? To which I hear this response. Dad, there's no warning lights on. (laughs) I always tell people, you wonder why I have no hair. (laughs) Which led into a whole discussion of, Let's not wait till the warning light is on to tell us that we need to get the oil changed in dad's car. (laughs) He's figured it out now. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying there's no place for neutrality with the person of Jesus Christ. There's no, there's no place in someone's life to say, well, I, I'm, I'm young. I don't have to think about this stuff. Um, I, there's nothing wrong with me physically. And I've got a whole life ahead of me to think about this Jesus stuff. Um, I just, I, I just want to, I'm not against him. I'm not for him. I'm just in Switzerland when it comes to Jesus. There's no category for that. And what Jesus is saying here is when a person knows about Jesus, just like I was as a kid, and said, I don't want to. They are at that point standing against him. And there's only one step further to bring a person from there to where the Pharisees were. Where they knew who Jesus was. They knew who he claimed to be. They could see his mighty works. Just like after the cross, we can look back and see that Jesus Christ did die on the cross. And there's hundreds of eyewitnesses to the fact that he rose again from the grave. Proving that he is God. I can see his work. And when a person knows his claims. And can see his work. And clearly knows. And even can say. I think he is who he claims to be. But I don't want him. Jesus gives a very somber note here that there is not forgiveness for the person who stands in rejection of Jesus Christ now an important reminder the sin of blasphemy against the spirit of God the sin uh, the unpardonable sin is not a sin That a Christian can commit. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Once I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 tells us. That the Holy Spirit comes into our life and resides there. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 tell us. That the the Spirit of God is a 
seal. One thirteen. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of our salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. I've repeated this illustration probably 50 times here at Faith Bible Church, but the best way I know of illustrating that is when I used to work on the truck docks in college, I unloaded semis. And when we'd get a semi load come into us, there'd be a seal on the back of that tractor trailer. And that seal would have a number on it. And I would go get the paperwork and then I'd come back to the back of that semi and I'd make sure that the number on the paperwork matched the number on that aluminum seal. And if that seal had been broken, it could not be repaired. That seal was a guarantee that that load made it from point A to point B. And what Paul is saying is the Spirit of God is our seal. He guarantees, once the Spirit of God comes into that person's life, he's our guarantee that I'm going to get from point A here on earth to point B, heaven, with my Savior. He's a guarantee. So... Jesus here is not talking about a Christian somehow being like a kid at a cattle auction doing something. I'm not sure what it was, but I'm a fearful that I just committed the unpardonable sin. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about willful, purposeful, knowing rejection of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, how do I respond to those who have turned away? All of us in this room have people in our webs of relationship that we know that maybe grew up in a Christian home. They uh, have heard the claims of Christ, but right now they are not uh, walking with Jesus. How do I respond to that person? First of all, we should not make the assumption that just because maybe someone earlier in life prayed a prayer, that they necessarily became a Christian at that point. I can say that because I'm living it. I had a Sunday school teacher in about fifth grade that asked us all to raise our hands if we had put our trust in Jesus. And I didn't raise my hand. And she looked at me and said, Steve! You're the son of a pastor and you haven't done it? Why not? And she just ticked me off. And so I thought, I'll get you, lady. I'll just go ahead and pray your little prayer and you can put a little notch on your belt and I'll just fix you. And I did it. And she went and told my parents what she had done. And inside I knew I hadn't done it. I can, I've lived it. So we shouldn't make an assumption that just because someone proclaimed a prayer that necessarily that person actually entered into relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. So what if there's a person in your life and my life who has known the claims of Christ but aren't walking with him? 
We love them as if they are an unbeliever. And we pray for them fervently that they will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And we still share the gospel with them. We still talk with them about the hope that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. Now here, Jesus has just talked about the dangers of either claiming neutrality with Jesus or taking it one step further and willfully rejecting him. He then goes on what I believe is a continuation of this same discussion in verses 33 through 37. And he's talking back to the Pharisees again. Notice he says in verse 34, you brood of vipers. And what he's saying is, don't be a bunch of fakers. He's saying, actually, what's on the inside of you, that's what really matters. And what's on the inside comes out in your words. Don't pretend like you're good with God, but in your words, stand in rejection of Jesus Christ. A person's words about Jesus reveal his or her heart. And a heart of rejection Faces divine judgment. Look at verse 33. Verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good. Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you being evil speak what's good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. If there's going to be radical life change. It comes from the inside out. And so what he's saying is. These Pharisees. Like to talk like they are in right relationship with God. And yet in their mouth they're rejecting the person of Jesus Christ. Their words stand in rejection. Jesus point. If your words stand in rejection. So does your heart. Your heart is not right with God. And he goes on. Then it says the good man brings out of his good treasure what's good. The evil man brings out his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you. That every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. A careless word is not just like saying something off the cuff. It is another understanding that would be a useless word. In this context, it's useless words about Jesus Christ. Who Jesus Christ is. We're faced with a choice here in verses 33 through 37 of saying, well, these verses just stand completely by themselves. And it's a new subject, which I don't think it is, because we always interpret the Bible according to the verses around it. I think verses 33 and 37 are just a continuation of what Jesus has just said. In other words, the person who says that Jesus Christ is not God who does his work by the power of Satan. What the Pharisees just said, Jesus said, that shows where your true heart is. And by the way, where your true heart is, I tell you that every careless word, this this useless word that you're giving about the person of Jesus Christ, 
They'll give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Had one of our elders here at Faith Bible Church send me an article this last week about one of the greatest evangelistic opportunities we have in churches today, and that is the funeral. And I agree. It is a great opportunity to talk about Jesus because at a funeral, people, even if it's just for a few minutes, pause and think about eternal things when their friend, when their relative has just passed away. Most people, uh, I don't want to think about that. I, I sometimes will like talk with my wife. Now, if I die, you know, this paperwork is in here. I always tell my admins here at Faith Bible Church, um, if I die, this document's here in my drawer. This is here. Probably once a week I say that. Oh, Barbara, I don't want you to talk that way. Uh, let's not talk about death. People don't want to think about death. But at a funeral, kind of forced to, right? Just for a moment, to think about the brevity of life. To think about how, wow, this person shouldn't have died right now. This person, they're young. You see, people want to say, I just want to push this Jesus stuff back in my life. It's not that I'm against it. I just don't need it right now. I'm having too much fun. I'll think about it when I get older. It's like, I'll travel when I get older. And then people don't make it to older. So I I used to uh, justify to my wife, let's go on vacation. I'll think about it later. I'll do it later. And Jesus says, hey, no neutral ground. In fact, if right now you are not trusting in Jesus, you're already standing in rejection of him. And just one step away from where the Pharisees were, where they actually could say, yeah, he did do these great works. I just reject it. If you're here today and if you don't know for sure in your heart, if you're right with God, we'd love to help you on your journey. Just like all of us have been on a journey in knowing more of the person of Jesus Christ. And after the service is done, one of our leaders of Faith Bible Church will be back in our prayer room. And we've got some material we'd love to put in your hands. Just a little booklet. You can take out your own Bible, open up the first chapter... And look up verses that show you how from God's word you can know for sure that you're right with God through Jesus Christ. And if if you uh, want to pick up one of those and give it to a friend, do that. Um, But such an important passage today to remind us. There's no such thing as neutrality with Jesus. Those who stand in rejection of Jesus Christ. Having clearly understood his words and works, face judgment. Father, we thank you for these verses, somber verses, but we thank you for them. We also thank you that when we put our trust in the person of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to be fearful of these verses, but rather...
have the indwelling spirit of God as our pledge of our future inheritance. And we praise you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.